Are you living your truth or God's truth? And as we think about this question, um, it comes to mind because, you, you know, we look at uh, today's world and um, the things people are doing, the things that are happening, and we see that people have come to value and celebrate authenticity and, and self-expression. You know, a certain pride comes with living your truth or, or speaking your truth, even if, uh, or even especially if, that truth should challenge long-held societal conventions or uh, run counter to traditional views of morality. Now, there's many examples of this, and the one that um, was in the news recently and that, that comes to my mind is the story of an athlete participating in, in the Tokyo Olympics. Now, as you know, the Olympics are in full swing at the moment, and, and perhaps you've been following them or, or read stories about them, the events or, or the athletes participating in them. But the example I had in mind concerns a transgender woman playing on the Canadian soccer team. This player was conflicted about being the first openly transgender athlete to compete in the Olympics this year. And, and she said, I feel sad knowing there were Olympians before me unable to live their truth because of the world. So this athlete saw living their truth as being able to express what they believe um, is their true gender and was saddened that other athletes have not been able to compete as their true selves. So as we said, that's a recent example, but there was one from a few years ago. Um, the same sentiment was expressed by Apple's CEO, Tim Cook, in 2018. He was speaking at an event in support of LGBTQ activism, and he said, I've come to deliver a simple message that I want every LGBTQ person to hear and to believe. You are a gift to the world, a unique and special gift just the way you are. Your life matters. To you, I say, find your truth, speak your truth, and live your truth. But that idea is not unique to any one group or individuals. It's something um, that you see even, um, you know, when you watch Oprah Winfrey interview people. And earlier this year, she, um, she interviewed uh, Harry, the Duke of Sussex, and his wife, Meghan Markle. And uh, she was encouraging uh, Meghan Markle to, to speak her truth about um, her experiences of being part of the, the British royal family. And she's encouraged a number of other guests when she speaks with them to, to speak their truth. And then another example I had was uh, the company Calvin Klein had an advertising campaign in 2019 entitled, I Speak My Truth. Now, as described by one website covering the news, the campaign aims to capture the essence of individuality, an expression of the artists and models involved, with a call to action component that encourages others to do the same. So basically expressing yourself is as living your truth, being authentic. And there's probably a number of other examples that come to your mind. And there were, of course, many other things that we could have looked at, but these were just some of the more prominent things that I noticed recently. So I guess we should, you know, Think about for a second, you know, what does it mean to live your truth or, or to speak your truth? And based on the expression's uh, usage, there seems to be at least two ways that we can define it. Uh, first, some have understood speaking your truth 
uh, in the context of expressing one's true thoughts and feelings, especially in the sense of, of allowing the voices of the marginalized to be heard, um, to, to say that those thoughts and feelings matter. So in this way, individual truths or individual counts of the truth are thought to be part of a larger unifying truth. Now, some would say it's about being true to your authentic self, the freedom to be who you are and to embrace yourself fully and to express yourself without fear of judgment, to not be bound by societal norms or expectations. Now, these definitions at first glance may sound empowering, ennoble, or inspiring, even aspirational. But we have to note, when it comes to living or speaking one's truth, subjectivity and individuality factor heavily. And there's another uh, aspect that, that we have to take into consideration, and that's the aspect of variability. One's truth can change over time. Now, before we go further, I just want to bring up the textbook definition of truth, uh, courtesy of Merriam-Webster uh, online dictionary. And um, when we look this word up, we see that their first definition has a number of um, sub-definitions. It says, the body of real things, events, and facts, the state of being the case, as in a fact, often capitalized as a transcendent, fundamental, or spiritual reality, a judgment, proposition, or idea that is true or is accepted as true, uh, or the body of true statements and propositions. Or moving on to the second set of definitions, it's the property as of a statement of being in accord with fact or reality. Fidelity to an original or a standard, sincerity in action, character, and utterance. So, you know, it's something that is true is a factual statement. And the easy examples there is, you know, we would say water is wet, the sky is blue, grass is green, one plus one equals two. Statements that are consistent with our shared reality and about which there can be no disagreeing. We might say that these are absolute or, or universal truths. Everyone can, can agree on that. So they're statements that are true for all people for all time. And, and mathematical truths are probably the easiest that, that we can all agree on. But how does truth begin to look when we accept the premise that people are free to live or to speak their own truths? Well, first off, something that is true for one individual may not be true for another. And that may be in the realm of moral or ethics. It could be um, sexual. It could be social, philosophical, religious, or some combination thereof, or something not even listed. So it, in, it's not just truth that can, can be said at an, original, at an individual level. You know, people might say that as a group, you know, there's a truth that they hold, or as a nation, there's a truth that they hold. So in what's true for, for one group or one nation might not be true for another. So we could, we could look at these and say, well, these are, these are relative truths, since truth is different. It's seen to be different from one person, group, or nation, to another. So it changes depending on who you ask. Now this type of thinking is, is, comes from a school of thought that's been called 
postmodernism. And, and we're not really going to get too heavy into this other than to um, see that that's kind of what's given rise to this way of thinking. And a pretty good quote to, to describe it comes from, from a book called Explaining Postmodernism by Stephen Hicks. And in it he says, Ob Objectivity is a myth. There is no truth, no right way to read nature or a text. All interpretations are equally valid. Values are socially subjective products. Culturally, therefore, no group's values have special standing. All ways of life from Afghani to Zulu are legitimate. So this way of thinking that's come from um, postmodern philosophers devalues and delegitimizes the importance of truth and at its worst uh, rejects the, the very notion of truth altogether. So if you, <coughs> excuse me, if you remember the word post-truth being thrown around in 2016 and 2017 uh, around the time of the election um, when Donald Trump came to power, that was an outgrowth from, from the postmodern way of thinking whether or not um, you actually realize that. Because feeling and emotion ha have come to play a larger role in people seeking truth rather than facts and ob objectivity. It, it's more appealing for people to, to pursue and cling to what they want to believe is true rather than what the facts actually w would say is true. So the difficulty here, if you follow this way of thinking, is in not having an objective basis to determine who was wrong and who was right when conflict should arise from the collision of different or competing truths. If there is no truth, nothing can be right and nothing can be wrong. Sorry about that. So normally truth would be the standard for, for, for seeing what's wrong or right. And, and when you take truth out of the equation or you say it's just not important or it doesn't exist at all, you don't have a means by which that you can test whether something is true. So here's an example that we can use to help us understand that concept. So we look at this picture on the screen and, and we ask the question, what's that a picture of? Well, let's say one person viewing it sees an elderly woman. And, and you can see there the nose and there's her mouth and she's wearing a hat with, with a feather on it. And she's got a big shawl around her shoulders. And uh, we can look at that and say, yeah, that's, that's definitely uh, an elderly woman there. But then someone else comes along and they're looking at the same picture. And they say, well, actually, you know, I don't see that at all. I actually see a young woman. And see, look, you can see her head turned to the side there and, and that's her jawline and that's her ear, and that's her eyelash, and her nose, and she's wearing a hat. So, when, when, when we look at this, um, who has the truth? Because each person that's looking at this picture it says, well, I see this, and the other one says, I see that. And who has the truth? Each one from, from their own perspective is right. Well, let's say that the disagreement wasn't over two faces in an illustration. What if it were over a consequential moral issue? Is it right to steal? Is it right to murder or to commit genocide? Is it right to oppress others? So if we believe 
truth is relative or is non-existent, then we have no basis for condemning wrongdoing. It would simply be their truth against our truth. Because in such a case, the only standard that we have to judge someone else by is our own. And they could just as easily judge us by their standard and conclude we're wrong. Who was really right to condemn the other? Without any objective or absolute standard, it's simply one man's truth, quote, against another's. The definition of good and evil would be meaningless because one man's good would be another man's evil and vice versa. In those terms, good and evil can only truly be meaningful if there is an objective standard by which to measure actions or behaviors against. Which brings us to the question, why do we even think in terms of good and evil in the first place? The Christian apologist C.S. Lewis argued, a man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. And I call this the straight line problem, and I have it in quotes, because if you're someone who doesn't believe in truth, then, then it is a problem. So the point is, we, we can't call something evil unless what is good has been first revealed to us. Because we wouldn't know the line is crooked unless we had first seen a straight line. And that's, that's our measure to know that, hey, this is a crooked line. There's another example that, that he uses to help make the point. He says, if there were no light in the universe and no creatures with eyes, we would never have known it was dark because dark would be a meaningless concept. It's, it's outside their frame of reference. In, in comparing, bringing that to, to us, if humanity's only reference point for morality was himself, he would never have known the difference between evil and good. Only what one person believes is true and another person believes in tr is true. And, and who's to say someone is wrong? You know, where, where does that even come from? So, to me, that's, that's the strongest argument for why truth cannot be relative. You know, the very fact that we're aware of the concept of truth and the concept of good and evil proves the existence of a straight line, an absolute standard objective truth. Now I believe that the Bible teaches that the source of that objective truth is Yahweh, the God of Abraham and his descendants, and to whom promises were made that have yet to be fulfilled. Now I want to draw your passage uh, attention to a passage found in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. It takes place when Moses had gone up to Mount Sinai to receive a second set of stone tablets with the Ten Commandments inscribed on them. Here Yahweh reveals his character to Moses. And he says, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving inequity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the inequity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children, unto the third, into the fourth generation. Yahweh wants us to know that He is full of truth. He is the standard for what is good. He is the source and arbiter of truth. This goodness 
in truth was to have a bodily representative. It wasn't going to remain an abstract concept. It was going to have a concrete form, and it was done in the man Jesus, the Son of, the Son of God. So when asked how we can find our way to the Father, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So in other words, if we want to get to know Yahweh, and if we want to find the way to him, and we want to find the way to his truth, we have to look to his son, Jesus, because in him is found that truth and righteousness in, 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 in a tangible form. And that truth and righteousness, that truth is found in the true teaching of the Bible. It's, it's the, only, the only way back to Yahweh is through Jesus, his son, and we, we read that in the word. And Jesus was the one promised to deliver humanity from the punishment of sin and death. And this, this is a pretty important point. That kind of truth, the ability to deliver us from sin and death, no truth of that sort is found in any human being. So people can, can say to have all, all the truth that they want in, in living their truth, um, but they can't say that their truth can deliver them from death. Well, the Bible teaches that people, broadly speaking, would fall into one of two categories. So two sides, in effect. You know, Yahweh's truth or, or your truth. And when Jesus was arraigned before Pilate, leading up to his crucifixion, there's a conversation between them that took place. And the record of that is in John chapter 18, in verse 37 and 38. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause I came into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Or if you read that from the NIV, it says, Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Continuing with verse 38, Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. So this echoes something Jesus had told believing Jews. He said, If ye continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And that's found in John chapter 8, verses 31 through 32, as I have on the screen there. So Jesus' word was true. His voice was true. And there are people who are on his side. They're on the side of truth. And there are people who are not on the side of truth. So the people who are on the side of truth love the truth. They love Yahweh's truth. They hear Jesus' voice. And that's the class of people that heed the wise counsel of Solomon when he writes, Buy the truth and sell it not. Also, wisdom and instruction and understanding. As we read from Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 23. This class of people knows how to discern the words of truth, as we read in 2 Timothy chapter 2 in verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling 
the word of truth. We're not, we're not abusing it. We're not twisting it to say what we want it to say. We're not uh, saying that we have our own truth that we're living, but rather we are rightly handling God's truth. This class of people is like the Thessalonians who received the Bible as God's word and not the work of men. We read in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, You accepted it as not the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So there is a, a valuing of that truth. It's important to them, it's meaningful to them, and they, they try to live their life in accordance with that truth. Now the second class of people we might say maybe those who love their truth. These are people like the Jews, when, I, when Isaiah wrote of them, and saying, Justice is driven back, and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. Because there, there were times in the history of the Jews when they turned from God, and, um, you know, you had prophets that would come and try to turn them back to God and, and, and would, would chastise them. And, and this, this quote comes in the context of that. Truth was nowhere to be found. And Jeremiah similarly said uh, something as well. He said, this is the nation that has not obeyed the Lord its God or responded to correction. Truth has perished. It has vanished from their lips. And we live in times not unlike these described. Truth is argued about constantly. And it seems like nobody wants to agree on what it is. So Pontius Pilate poses the question to Jesus. As we read, he said, what is truth? And he literally walked away from it. You know, if, if he were really interested and wanted to know what truth was, uh, he, he probably would have been more receptive to, to Jesus' teachings. But he says, what is truth? And walks away from it. Jesus had just said that everyone who was on the side of truth listened to him. And doubtless, Pilate was aware that Jesus had already claimed in his ministry to be the truth. So with this unbelieving question, Pilate set himself in opposition to the truth. He was doing what comes natural, refusing to be subject to the authority of the truth. He didn't need Yahweh's truth, as it were. So despite clear testimony from the Word of God concerning the nature and identification of truth, it's still a mystery for those who look elsewhere, that, that look outside of God's Word, and they're trying to find out what truth is, but they, they, can't, they can't find it, they don't know. There's an example of this, thanks to a professor of philosophy at New York University, um, Paul Horwick, who has written books about the nature of truth. When he was asked what his thoughts were on truth, he wrote, This question provo provokes perplexity, because on the one hand, it demands an answer of the form, truth is such and such. But on the other hand, despite hundreds of years of looking, no acceptable answer of that kind has ever been found. He continues, some philosophers have been led to deny that there is such a thing as absolute truth. Some have maintained that although truth exists, it lacks certain features that are ordinarily attributed to it. 
Some have inferred that truth is intrinsically paradoxical and essentially incomprehensible. And others persist in the attempt to devise a definition that will fit all the intuitive data. So men like him continue to ask, what is truth? But we should not be surprised by this. The Bible tells us that the truth will not be found among the wise men of this world. Jesus says that in, in Luke chapter 10 and verse 21. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. So what things were unable to be seen by the wise and the prudent of the world? What was hidden from them? It was the gospel message. It was the things concerning truth. But who was it revealed to? It was revealed to little children, Jesus says. And we, we think that's kind of funny. It's like, well, what do you mean? You know, it's revealing it to kids. But he, he didn't mean um, actual children. Rather, those who have the most desirable qualities of children. right? And what is it about that childlike mindset that is so valuable when it comes to receiving truth? Well, it's perfectly primed for receiving knowledge of spiritual matters. It hasn't learned the attitude of skepticism. It's not encumbered by purely human reasoning and bias. It's malleable. It's able to be shaped and transformed by Yahweh's word. It hasn't been hardened by the dogma of the scientific community and human philosophy. So it's these beautiful attributes of a child's mind that, that have to be present in the mind of anyone seeking for the truth, not just, you know, trying to live their truth or, or speaking to their truth, but for anyone looking for the truth, moving beyond the individual, these attributes must be there. So, without that childlike disposition, attitude of mind, people looking for truth, as Timothy says, or as Paul writes to Timothy, rather, will be ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. As we see around us, many are, are preoccupied with discovering their own truth and how they can best express that and how they can live authentically, right, in a way that's true to who they are. But instead, I encourage you to hear Jesus' voice of truth and act on it. We should not look to our own hearts for identity and truth, but rather look to have Christ in our heart and seek to live Yahweh's truth. Now, I want to bring our thoughts this evening uh, to a close with a verse from Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, where Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So if we care about one absolute truth, and then living the right way according to that truth, 
Christ invites us to be on his side, to be on the side of truth, to be among those who hear his voice and love the truth. We should not be preoccupied with living our own truth, but rather Yahweh's truth. Thank you for your attention.